0: John chapter 1, and we we'll are continue our study in uh, unto us. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Preaching to you on the subject this morning the Word became flesh. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to preach your word, and I thank you for the spirit of the service. And Father, I pray that uh, just as we were moved by uh, the songs that we've sung, I pray that we would be even greater stirred in our hearts by the words that we hear from your book. And Father, I pray that we would uh, take your words and that we would apply them to our hearts and to our lives. I ask, Lord, that your grace would work in and through me and that people would see Christ as we are continuing celebrating your birth this month. And uh, Father, I pray that we would lift you up for you say as uh, Christ is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. And so Father, I pray that above everything that your dear son would be lifted up this morning. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. The word became flesh. In the English language, there are 170,000, or it's estimated that there are 170,000 words. Most people who know English only speak between 20 to 30,000 words. Men would probably be on the lower scale. <laughs> I'm not going to take that any further. I just said men would probably be on the lower scale. It's also believed that the English language is a language with the most words. There's also diversity of opinion about about the the language that has the most words or the, the richest language in the world. But English is noted as one of those languages. And so in our language, we have many words. And though we have a great deal of words in the English language, there is nothing that can be compared to the word. It's one thing to talk about words, but it's a totally different thing to talk about the Word. It's words that we use to be able to communicate a truth, but it is the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, who communicates something to us this morning. In John 1.1, 1, 1, take a look there, we see this title three times. It says, in the beginning, in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We also, once again, have this title mentioned to us in John chapter 1 and verse 14, in the beginning was the Word, or I should say, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This text, John chapter 1 and verse 14, according to Morris, has has been stated as the most concise statement of the incarnation or of the birth of Christ. Though this passage is very short, if you were to count the words, the passage is very short, but it's very long because of the nature of its content. In this one verse, John chapter 1 and verse 14, in this just one verse the infinite became finite. In this one verse, the invisible became visible. In this one verse, the transcendent became close. That which was afar off came to us. All in this one verse. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became what He was pre what he was not previously. But he did not cease to be God, but he became man. He became what he was not previously, but he did not cease to be God, but became man. And this morning I want you to, to take hold of, the take home this morning is that Christ came to man in order that men may come to Christ. And I want you to remember that throughout this week. Because so many times the only thing that we think about is in salvation. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews that we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. Why? Because of our great mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of him, and if we've accepted him as our personal savior, we've been clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, now we can come boldly unto Christ. And so Christ came To man, in order that men may come to Christ. So, you need to come to Christ for salvation. But, can I challenge you, Christians, this morning no matter where you find yourself, and no matter how far away you think Christ is, the reason that Christ came was so that you could come to Him. And our text tells us how Christ came in two distinct ways. And I want you to take a look at that this morning. First, the coming of Christ, it reveals his characteristics. It reveals his characteristics. In verse 14, the birth of Christ is mentioned in three of the four Gospels. The only Gospel that does not mention the birth of Christ is the Gospel of Mark. Mark has nothing to do with the Gospel of Christ. While the other Gospels, the other, the, the, the other two Gospels that do mention the birth of Christ, and that is Matthew and Luke, they focus on the humanity, mainly the humanity of the birth of Christ. John focuses on the deity of the birth of Christ. That Mark and Luke focus on the practical aspects of the birth of Christ, where John will focus in on the doctrinal aspects of the birth of Christ. And with this in mind, that John is focusing in on the doctrinal aspects, and he's showing us the deity of Christ, with this in mind, I want you to see the characteristics that John brings out to reveal to us who Christ is. See, Christ did not come to earth not to let people know who he is. He just didn't show up and say, well, here I am, and I'm going to live my 33 and a half years and go on. No, Christ came to earth to make himself known. He introduces himself in in the book of John here to the world. I want you to see uh, how Christ introduces himself through some specific characteristics this morning. First, take a look, if you will. You're taking notes. The two natures, letter A, the two natures revealed The two natures revealed. This text, as I've mentioned to you before, this text mentions to us the dual natures of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word, it says. The Word became flesh. The Word represents His divine nature. But it just doesn't stop there. It says the Word became flesh. Flesh represents His human nature. The Word speaks of Son of God. The flesh speaks of Son of Man. I want you to turn to our key text for the series that we've been going through, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. So we see the dual nature here of Christ, and we're understanding some of His characteristics. He's letting us know who He is. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The dual nature of Christ, we see it in this verse as well. For we see that there was a son given, that's the Word. We see that a child is born, that's the flesh. That night in Bethlehem, the Word did not cease to be what it was before. That's God. The Word did not cease to be what it was before. That's God. But it became what it was not before. That's flesh. Two natures are revealed to us. But to understand just a little bit more Of what happened when the Word became flesh. Let's take a look now, the two natures, let's examine them, if you will. Letter B, the two natures examined. Take a look here. The Word, the divine nature. Now, I want you to notice something here. It did not say, it does not say in our text that Jesus became flesh. That's important. It does not say that Jesus became flesh that would not have expressed the deity of the two natures it was after the Word became flesh that he was called Jesus what was he called before he became flesh the Word the Word why is that to express his deity see in the Old Testament the word or wisdom of God is often personified as an instrument to execute God's will. This word, the word is the logos, or some will say the, the logos. But it's, it's personified for us, as, as, to us, because it wants to express, the word wants to express something from God. It's the execution of God's will. And this is the way that John uses the title. He says, the word here. The word became a personal being to us. The word is the complete expression of the thought of God in communicating himself to man. Listen to that. The word is the complete expression of the thought of God in communicating himself to man. I want you to take a look back at our text, if you would, please, at John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. We see the two natures examined here, and we're, talking, we're taking a look, examining the deity of the Word here. And we're seeing that the Word has a specific relationship to time. It says, in the beginning was the Word. What it's stating is that the word, was, uh, the, the word was before time, which means that the word had to be divine. You say, wait a second. It says in the beginning was the word. That's exactly what it said. In the beginning was. Was states that the word was previous to the beginning. Was. He already Was. It's not something that happened after the beginning. Well, what's it talking about, the beginning here? The beginning of time, as we know it. For God's not held by time. He's beyond time. God created time. And one, th- one day, time will cease. And for some of you who can't be on time for anything, you'll be thrilled about that. <laughs> but the word was already in existence. The word preexisted before time take a look at John chapter 1 John take a look at first John chapter 5 in verse 7 here we're taking a look at the deity of Jesus Christ the two natures examined they're revealed the word became flesh and now we're examining them John's focusing on the doctrine it's important folks that we understand this because there are others out there that take this scripture and they twist it to say that Jesus was a God. He's a lesser God than God. He's like a, 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 a greater angel than other angels. No. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. First John chapter 5 and verse 7. We see it here that the Word preexisted. In verse John chapter 5 and verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father the Word and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Amen. Amen. John says that it's the Word in heaven that bear record with the Father and the Holy Ghost. It's the Word that is distinct from and at the same time equal with God. He is distinct from but at the same time equal with God. The Bible tells you, you say, well, how do you know that? Because John chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, for he was with God And at the same time was God this word is God this word is divine and see what John is doing is he is really taking apart the argument of those who have come down through history and say that Jesus is a lesser God the word of John is very God not some lesser God For he is God and he was the creator of all things. The word of John is personal for he is face to face with God and he gives life to men. The word of John became flesh in a permanent relationship of incarnation. He is not merely, folks, Jesus was not merely an appearance of God. He is is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus was just not some form of of a mystical type of of person. Jesus uh, was not just um, um, uh, uh, something that inhabited a human being. No, he became flesh, the Word, the Word. The Bible not only talks to us about the Word, which we've just examined, he talks to us about the flesh, the human nature Take a look, if you would, please, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. We have this dual nature, and it's important that we understand this dual nature. So many times when we look in the manger, and we see that little baby in the manger scene, we say, oh, what a beautiful baby. And oh, that's uh, Jesus Christ there who was, who was born for us. We've got to remember that is very God in the flesh that we're looking at. And by the way, Mary did know. Mary knew. You say, how do you know that? All you have to do is read the story. Mary, did you know? It wasn't any question. God told her what was happening. I mean, that's a nice little song for for Christmas time. But every time somebody sings that here, I want to stand up and say, Yes, she knew! (laughs) And by the way, so did John the Baptist that was in the womb of Elizabeth. It says... When Mary's voice came about that she that he jumped in the womb. I want you to see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 the human nature of Christ. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory the word of God became flesh so the glory of God might be seen of men see though we could put it this way the word took on flesh so that God could show off but I want you to think about something here that his flesh wasn't just let me back up and say it this way there are four general meanings to the word flesh in scripture There is the one, the general meaning that means the the regular human nature, but it's distinct from divine nature and distinct from animal nature or any other nature. So that's the general term. Then there's another term that could be used, the character of flesh. That flesh, it speaks of the corruption of sin that's inherent to every human being that's born of man. Another meaning of the flesh that could be here is the mystical flesh. In John chapter 6 and verse 53, Christ said to, to uh, uh, many of his disciples that you are to what drink my blood and eat my flesh. There's the mystical sense of the flesh. And then there's the bodily sense of the flesh. It can speak of our literal body, the skin, the blood, and bones of man. But the word flesh here in our text this morning, it has the first and last meaning. It it, it, it has to do with the general and the bodily. It has to do with the human nature as opposed to the divine. And that's important. Because not only did Christ... uh, did, Did the word have to be divine, which he was. But he also had to be flesh in order to be able to bear the sins of men. But I want you to think. So many times we also forget. When we look at that babe in the manger. We think with that body came all, all the sinless emotions and all the non-tangible but necessary aspects that would properly define a human being. Guess what? Jesus got tired. Jesus sorrowed. You know what I think is a shame? Is so many times... We forget that Jesus had all the emotions. We never emphasize the laughter, the joy of Jesus. I'm not saying that Jesus was not serious here on earth. He had a mission to accomplish. And he accomplished it. He said that he has completed his Father's will. But can't you see Jesus when he was sitting around and... And the disciples were saying to him, to the, to the children, get away, get away. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, suffer the little children to come unto me. <laughs> Do you think any little kid in their right mind would have came to that? No. You was like, hey, guys, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, come on, come on. I want you to sit on my lap. Man, I, we were, we, we've been able to, to watch... Um, my great-nephew, little Aiden, for two months. And so I got to practice for two months on how to be a grandpop. And I'm glad about that. The wonderful thing is that with, I found out with, with grandchildren, you get to give them back. That is so wonderful. And it can be on your time period. This, we were a little more, we were a little more locked in. You can't say, okay, it's time for you to take them back. But you know what I found when that little baby was around, that little child was around. It just brings joy. It doesn't matter what kind of day you had. It doesn't matter. Their little eyes light up and they start smiling. And they start talking in their their other language, you know. I love that language. I try and talk it, but for some reason it doesn't always work. I, I didn't sit around saying, now Aiden, come on up here and sit on your uncle's lap. I want to love on you. I don't, that's not the way that it is. And so many times I think that we forget that Jesus with his humanity, I believe that he was joyful. I also believe that he was accepting. For no one of the lowest of the low would hang out with a person that looks down upon them. He loved everybody the same. I was, as the shepherds were here singing, I was sitting there thinking, Jesus loves them as much as he loves everybody else. See, when Jesus took on flesh, he also had all the sinless emotions that we have. But take a look here, let her see, the two natures clarified The two natures clarified. It's important that we understand how the two natures of Christ came about and existed. And it's found in this phrase. It's was made. Jesus was made. And that that comes from one Greek word. And the meaning of it in this text became. That's why I stated in my title the word became flesh. The word became does not mean to cease to be what he was before. That's important again I'm going I'm actually uh, circling this argument back around because it's very important for us to understand this as believers see folks it's not it's not good enough for us to be able to just say well this is what my pastor believes or this is what the church believes we need to be able to look in the Word of God and show somebody from the Word of God ourselves that's why I encourage you to take notes this is a highly doctrinal message, okay? But I'm encouraging you to take notes so that that way you can look at this and you can say, no, this is what it means right here. You say, well, why should I do that? Because you're going to come in contact with unsaved people that I never come in contact with. So it does not mean, the word became is not meaning to cease what he was before. If that were the case, then Christ would have ceased to be God when he, when he became let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. Do you remember with me uh, the first miracle that Jesus did? Somebody tell me, what was the first miracle that Jesus did? Turn the water into wine. I'm not going to go there, okay? But there are so many people that really like... Uh, I would just say you better be very careful with that. There are over 16 different words in the Hebrew and in the Greek for the word wine, okay? And some mean fermented, others do not mean fermented, Okay? And that's where we're going to end that little discussion right there about water into wine. My point is, when Jesus turned the water into wine, the water, what, became wine. So what did it do? It ceased to be water. It was now something totally different. It was wine. But when Jesus became, uh, I should say, the Word became flesh, he did not cease to be God. That's not the way that the word became or this Greek word is being used here. He was still God in the flesh. See, the second person of the Trinity assumes human nature without laying aside his divine nature. You say, how do you know this? How How do you know that he did not just become human? Well, it's affirmed by the divine names given to him. You can go through all throughout Scripture and you can find the divine names given to Jesus over and over and over again. So that affirms it. You would not call somebody by a divine name that wasn't divine. You wouldn't do that. I mean, people don't go around and call me, hey, Joe. Because I'm not Joe. Okay? I'm not Joe, so I, I, I don't answer to that name. You wouldn't call me Joe. You would call me by my name. It's not only affirmed by his divine names given to him, it's affirmed by his divine attributes revealed of him. You say, well, what are some of the divine attributes? It says that Jesus wouldn't commit himself to man because he knew what was in man. Guess what? There's many people today that think that they know what somebody else is thinking, but guess what? Nobody knows what anybody else is thinking. Only God knows what's in the heart of man. The Bible says that. So I know that Jesus, this is another way that I know that Jesus or the Word when he came and became uh, 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 Jesus in the flesh, when he he came to earth here, did not give up his divinity. But this is affirmed by the divine works attributed to him. What about some of the divine works? How about the feeding of the 5,000 with just a few loaves and some fish? You couldn't feed a family of five with that, let alone 5,000. How about when Jesus healed the uh, paraplegic? How about when Jesus opened up blind eyes? How about when Jesus raised somebody from the dead? Please don't tell me this morning that Jesus was just uh, just a very good man. He was not God. This morning, his divine names affirmed that he was God. His divine attributes affirmed that he was God. His divine works affirm that he is God. God. And what I'm telling you this morning is that one nature did not swallow up the other nature. One nature did not change into another nature. It's at the birth of Christ that both these natures were joined together and both natures existed together. Let me give you quickly number two. The coming of Christ reveals his reason in John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The coming of Christ reveals his reason. Letter A, Christ came to communicate. Christ came to communicate. The first verse of this chapter gives to us in one word that God wanted to reveal something to us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word. What is that? It involves, the Word involves communication. And therefore is a part of revealing something. When you communicate, you're trying to to reveal something to somebody. You're trying to tell somebody something. You know. And so God is communicating to us. Take a look at Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews, if you would, chapter 1. The word, it involves communication and therefore is a part of the process of revealing something to us. Or actually, more accurately, someone to us. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, God who at sundry times, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now take a look at this. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. How so many times do you hear people say, well, there, there's no God. There's no God out there. God doesn't exist. If he did, he would communicate with us. Hey, my friends, he has. It's in the Son and Person of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> The problem is that the world doesn't want to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ they don't mind cooing over a little baby in the manger they don't mind looking at the manger scene and saying how precious that is and how nice that is but they don't want to recognize that that little baby in the manger is here to communicate with a lost and dying world Amen. he's got something to say God is placing you say well why is it communicate because God is placing great emphasis on something listen Listen, God wants man to know Him. And listen, this morning, friend, you say, well, I know God as my personal Savior. I've accepted Christ as my personal Savior. But listen, it's more than that. The the Salvation, you need to take it a step further that you might know Him personally for your salvation, but God wants you to know Him intimately as a believer. He wants you to worship Him. He wants you to glorify Him. He wants you to honor Him. He wants you to communicate with Him. The Bible has revealed to us a great emphasis on knowing Him. And the way, one of the ways that we know Him is through His Son. You know, our world... Puts a great emphasis on knowledge. Our world puts a great emphasis on information. And literally at the tap of my watch or the tap of my iPad or, I don't know, on my phone, or the tap of my phone this morning, I can be able to get just about anything I want, knowledge on anything that I want, information that I… Uh, anything that I want. we have a great way to gain knowledge today. With all of this technology available to us, there are very few people who are actually interested in knowing God. See, many times when you preach a doctoral message like this, you say, man, I'm glad that one was over. That was... That really what? You know what I'm trying to get you to do? To know God a little bit more. <laughs> See, when we know God, when we know God and know about him, we actually start to learn more about ourselves. Not only did Christ come to communicate, but Christ came. Secondly, he came, let her be, to conquer. He came to conquer. When the world looks at this little baby in the manger on Christmas, very few think of him as a conquering king. But that's exactly what he is. Herod tried to wipe him out because he was afraid that he would lose his throne. I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter 19. That little baby is a conquering king. I mentioned to you in the past couple weeks who's reigning in your heart. Is the Lord sitting on the throne of your heart? And this morning, we need to evaluate one more time that Christ is is a conquering king. And are we allowing him to reign in our life. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15. Take a look here. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, here you go, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's a conquering king. Christ not only came to fulfill the great pro- promise to the nation of Israel and to bring peace, but he also came this morning as a conquering king to defeat the devil. I want you to take a look at 1 John chapter 3, if you would please. 1 John chapter 3. You ever hear somebody say, well, the devil made me do it. No, it wasn't the devil. You just gave in to temptation. When, when the temptation is flourished, the Bible talks about, when, it, when it's fully conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and then sin brings forth death. Now, you could have been influenced by some things, but then you have to remember, as a believer, you can go around saying, the devil made me do it, the devil made me do it, the devil made me do it. That's the reason I can't stop doing this. He that committeth sin is of the devil, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He that commiteth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. See, it's that baby in the manger that came as a conquering king to defeat sin and the devil in our own lives. That little baby as cute as the manger scenes depict that little baby is a conquering king and he can conquer sin in our own lives if we would just allow him. But not only has he come to conquer the devil and sin in our own lives. Take a look at Revelation chapter 1, if you would please. Because he came... And he conquered death. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible reads this way. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Listen, if you're a believer here this morning, you don't have to fear death. Why? Because Jesus Christ has conquered it for you. Yes, it was that little babe in the manger. God became flesh in order that we don't have to fear death any longer. Listen, let me tell you something. You're not going to die one second sooner than God's appointed your time. And so we don't have to fear death. That little baby just didn't come to put a smile on our face at December 25th. That little baby came to defeat sin. That little baby came to defeat the devil. That little baby came to destroy death. Christ came to communicate. Christ came to conquer. And lastly, let us see, Christ came to redeem. The Word being made flesh. Listen in our text the Word being made flesh, and the Word was made flesh. That is redemption for us. 1 John 4 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, the Bible reads this way, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Matthew 1, 21, the Bible continues and said, And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. He came to redeem See, in order for us to be able to have a relationship with God, there needed to be a mediator. And that mediator is Jesus Christ. The whole reason for the incarnation this morning, my friends, is that sinful men can come to the knowledge of a saving God. Had the Word not not been made flesh, there would be no redemption of sinners. Here's the take-home. Here's the take home. Christ came to man in order that men may come to Christ.